You're listening to She's Got Drive podcast, the podcast that inspires women to be the driver in their own life through the life and stories of black women with drive. And I'm your host, Shirley McAlpine. I'm a business consultant, an executive coach, and a leadership facilitator working with people and organizations to live their lives by design and not default. Welcome back to another episode of She's Got Drive. And as we start June, it really feels like the summer is arriving. And um, I'm at the end of a very intense five months of work. So I'm feeling a little bit of just kind of relief a bit about that. You know, I don't know how you're feeling, but that's what's going on with me. Just a little ease in the work schedule, which is always a, a blessing to kind of pause and look at that. And we have a very good episode for you today. You know, there are a few times when you meet a person who has experienced being called to her purpose and and really also kind of openly shares the, her resistance to that call. And so we explore that today with my guest, Itan Young, or the Reverend Itan Young. I'll tell you more about her in a minute, but I'm excited about this really stunning and inspiring woman who really dropped some gems in this episode. So it's a not to be missed one. And I really appreciate her being willing to spend her time with me and being willing to share so openly her, the, the way that she came to um, fulfilling her purpose and working on her purpose. And that a really powerful messaging that comes through that. I'm not going to say anymore because I don't want to preempt some of the things that she shares with me, but uh, in the in the interview, I think you're going to love it and you're going to get a lot out of it. So I'm looking forward to sharing this episode with you. But before we do that, I want to share with you what's been driving me this week. What's been driving me this week is, you know, as you know, this year I've had my focus on my self-care. I've had my focus on like a, a plan that I've been sharing with you as I go on and adding things to it. And that has actually gone into even sharper focus in the last couple of weeks. I have been diagnosed with osteoporosis um, in my lower back. If you don't know what osteoporosis is, it's um, a definition by the World Health Organization is a progressive systemic skeletal disease that's characterized by low bone mass, deterioration of bone tissue, and with the consequence of increasing the, the bone fragility and the possibility of kind of fractures. So said in simple terms, you know, the, my, the density of my bone is, is reducing or um, it's not producing. The, you have, your bone turns over every two years. And so... As, as the older parts of the bone kind of diminish, the newer parts replenish and, and, and they stay ahead of that that's diminishing. And so that's not working in the body like it used to. There are many factors why I think I'm going to share, you know, is, is largely menopause. I'm 51 years old, a woman who experienced early menopause. And so what that means is your estrogen levels drop dramatically and um, and causes you some issues. <laughs> Hot flushes being some of them. We all know what happens when we talk about this. So many things that are talked about with the menopause. And this isn't necessarily one of them that's really focused on. You know, we talk about hot flushes a lot. Um, and it because it's a big issue for, for many women. 
Needless to say, this news has had a huge impact on me. The 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 only the window of um what should I say, the statement that came out of the doctor's mouth that apparently is reversible um, was all that he gave me really in that moment. And But it was enough for me to leave my doctor's office and immediately get into action. You know, she's got drive. It's not called she's got drive for no reason. I really am someone who just is very, like, stands in... Um, possibility but it's very grounded in that and I immediately look like how do I reverse this condition and how do I bring myself and my bone back um, to where it needs to be and to stop the progression of this so within four days I have uh, had a, a team in place that's a strength um, training team to support the rebuilding exercise extreme exercise strength building training exercise is important to support the rebuilding of your bone and um so shout out to ryan and shout out to aaron who are my my team there and um i went to see a doctor who has put me on some another doctor who's put me on a bone supplement kind of protocol to that would rebuild the bone and the exercise is six days a week you know and I'm sharing this with you because they call it the silent disease. You know, I was lucky enough to have another doctor, not the one who did it, but another doctor who suggested I have a, a DEXA scan given how early my menopause was. And and so through that scan is what we discovered was going on. It's called the silent disease because most people don't discover it until they fracture something and are in pain and go to their doctor and then are finding out the source of the pain. And so I feel grateful for my shout out to my other doctor who really is the one encouraging me to do the scan because without that I would have been none the wiser and not in action on what's happening in my body. You know, I'm learning a lot about it. I'm learning about strength training. I'm learning about diet and how diet impacts it I'm learning about me rethinking my life and how I live my life and and how I structure my life and and it has to be restructured because now I have this routine that I have to get in wherever I am and and how I think about what I'm doing and where I'm doing it so I'm traveling this road and I wanted to share that because even if you're 25 years old and listening to this podcast it matters because Women peak at their bone density at the age of 25. And so exercise before the age of 25 is critical to um, ensure that you have good bone density when you're in your menopausal years. We never think ahead of that when we're in our 20s. We think we're invincible. And you might be sitting at home thinking, do I have it, don't I? Well, that's a question and start to kind of raise our awareness about it. You might be thinking at home saying, I'm living with this. I didn't know I could reverse it. And you and listen, I haven't done it yet, but I'm certainly on that game. It's going to take two years. It's a long journey, but I really believe that I can do it. And um, I put a good team in place. And what I love about my team is I really feel like they are my partners and um, in causing this result for me. So you'll see me 
posting things on Instagram about this because I really feel like women who are in their 50s need to know because I thought it was something that happened to women or people in their 70s or their 80s and that's not strictly true so that's what's been driving me this week that's going to be driving me for a long time you will I'll still be bringing some fantastic women to you through the she's got drive podcast but I'll share my journey and I want to say that it is my training and who I am and what I've had the privilege to um, work in that has enabled me to step out of that um, doctor's office and immediately get into action, get a plan together while still in the impact and the surprise and the shock of it and and still going through my emotional roller coaster around it. But I am someone who needs to know that I can do something. And so I'm, I'm really inviting you to send all your healing intentions my way uh, in this, uh, this journey that I'm on. And anyone who is out there, I'm experiencing similar things or some kind of condition that you're confronting, know that you have uh, the power to respond in the way that, you, that will serve you and to look at what you need to do. And, um, and I just wanted to share that with you because you'll be seeing me share about that and talk about that uh you know as I journey through the next two years with this and um but as I said you know primarily still bringing all these wonderful women your way so that's what's been driving me this week and in truth that's what's going to be driving me for the rest of my life as I not just rebuild my bones but rebuild my life such that it supports this uh condition so it doesn't get the better of me so thank you for listening to that portion um let's move on to the interview this week as i said i've got Etang young who is you know i had the privilege and the pleasure to interview and let me tell you something about her so reverend Etang young is one of the most prolific and eloquent preachers of the gospel in this generation She's dedicated much of her time and talents toward advocating for women and girls in marginalized communities. She currently serves as the Assistant Minister for Youth at the Abyssinian Baptist Church in the city of New York in Harlem. And uh, she works, and her work takes her both locally and internationally. In May, 2012, Reverend Young was featured in the PBS Religion and Ethics News Weekly segment on Women and Theology and Ministry. She's also been featured in Bible Girls, Faith and Full View, which is an animated film that offered insight into the spiritual needs of the modern day woman. In addition to a myriad of honours, Reverend Young currently serves as a board member of Sister for Sister, One in the Spirit and the World of Prayer USA. She has, was formally crowned Miss Black Houston in 2004. And in that capacity, she also used her platform to advocate for the holistic development and education, education equality of young women and girls in communities of color. She's a former engineer. She, is, she completed a fellowship at the UN Women in Strategic Partnerships Division. She is a phenomenal woman and really inspiring. I'm really excited to bring you Reverend Itang Young. 
Itang, thank you so much for being willing to be a guest on She's Got Drive. Oh, you're very welcome, uh, Shirley. I've been looking forward to the conversation and I'm excited for what this uh, next hour holds. Yeah, so am I, so am I. Yeah, so, um, so we met in February earlier this, was it February? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. it was either early February or late January. Yeah, and, right. um, and I was fascinated because you're probably the youngest reverend I've ever met. <laughs> and then you probably number one and you're probably the like it's very rare for me to be a black woman who's a reverend and um as well as you being just fabulous thank you. you holding this role made me just think i have to interview you so okay. um so share with us share with us like your how you came like what do you do okay and how you came to do what you're doing. Wow. Okay. That I'm going to tell you now, that's going to be a very, very loaded answer uh, because my path to where I am now hasn't been uh, the straightest. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've actually kind of taken a lot of twists and turns, but uh, to get to the answer, I currently serve as the assistant minister here at the historic Abyssinian Baptist church in the city of New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am currently the third woman Uh, to oversee the ordinances of the church uh, in the church's 211-year history and currently uh, the only ordained uh, female reverend on staff. So my day-to-day job includes uh, overseeing all of the youth activities. So I serve within the capacity of youth pastor. Um, I do sick visits, And just day-to-day administrative tasks, overseeing the budget. Uh, I've currently received a new set of work under uh, my ministerial portfolio, and that is uh, managing uh, the operations of the building. We're currently undergoing an IT upgrade, so I've been uh, overseeing that for the last uh, last few weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, In terms of how I got to this space, uh, I again, took a very interesting uh, path to get here. Um, I did not always, or I don't think I ever <laughs> had the desire to uh, be a clergywoman mm-hmm. uh, or serve in a position of leadership within the church. Uh, I grew up in Texas uh, where it was very, very rare to see a woman in church. Um, so it wasn't really, uh, you know, something I desired. I've always been a very spiritual person, but not necessarily um, religious. And we can talk a, a little bit about that if you need me to unpack that. Um, but I always uh, was God conscious, always spiritually engaged. But again, never had a desire to do uh, more than that. <laughs> you know, I read my Bible, went to Bible study, did the youth groups and the singles ministry. But never in a million years did I, you know, expect to be to become an ordained reverend, uh, particularly because I went to school, uh, Texas A&M University in particular. Mm-hmm. Um, I studied in the School of Engineering. So I graduated with my bachelor's of science and started uh, my corporate career at the Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company in Akron, Ohio. So I had all these lofty dreams of, you know, <laughs> being that corporate beefcase, stiletto wearing woman, you know, making moves, a woman on the go. Uh, but then, you know, life 
life happened. And um, there comes a point where you ask yourself, okay, uh, is what I'm doing aligning with my purpose? Mm-hmm. Am I making a difference? Uh, what What's the meaning of all this that's going on? So I had a, a bit of an existential crisis, so to speak. <laughs> where and when, I got... when, what, what point, how far, be, and I'm just interrupting you, but I'm just oh, wondering, okay. like, uh, so you're there you are at good years were you at good years still when you yes. had that mm-hmm. moment so mm-hmm. you you're you've studied you've graduated you've got the corporate job which is what a lot of people are working towards and then you're delivering your work at what point how far in are you in <sighs> doing your work before you start to have those questions about like well about i think i've always had those questions I just never made space to explore them, mm-hmm. um, you know, because when you're growing up, uh, you're taught to go to school, graduate, get a great job, you know, get a house, get married, have children. Right. So that's often society's definition, you know, of success. And even though those questions are often at the forefront of your mind and your heart, you kind of push them to the side right. because you're working to attain this um, this uh, this illusion of success that may or not may or may not necessarily be uh, what success is for you. Right. I've come to understand that success is very uh, different for different people, and how we define it, you know, varies. Uh, but we're often pushed, uh, you know, to attain certain things in life. Uh, but there comes a time when you really have to get real with yourself um, about who you are, where you are, what you want out of life, and how you plan to get there. But even more than that, there's a question about, okay, how do I really want to to exist in the world? Mm-hmm. And is what I'm doing helping me to achieve that? And maybe in about year three or four in my corporate uh, career, I had to, well, life actually set me down and made me, (laughs) um, you know, think about uh, those very questions. And uh, in terms of answering those questions for myself, I ultimately decided to leave corporate America. Mm -hmm. And I started my graduate Uh, theological studies um, at the Union Theological Seminary here in New York. Now, again, um, I went there to explore um, the questions that I had and and find meaning. But again, never really thinking that, you know, hey, I'm actually going to go and work in a church. (laughs) You know, I thought that I would get my degree and go back out into the world a bit more focused and with a little more clarity about who I am, how I wanted to exist, and how I wanted to live out my purpose. Uh, Not realizing that while we can set a trajectory for our lives, Mm -hmm. uh, life can also set a trajectory for us. Uh, We often have an image of what our lives are supposed to look like and where we're supposed to be. Because let me tell you, bye. 18, I had like the rest of my life, like charted out. I'm so type A. So (laughs) I was like, when I'm 25, I'm going to have this. And by the time that I'm 30, I'm going to have this. 
And, you know, I'm, I'm weeks away from my 35th birthday and I'm just looking like, oh, child, what were you thinking? <laughs> you know, because my life doesn't resemble any of the blueprints that I laid for it. But uh, the thing about life and one's purpose is that it will plan for you mm-hmm. and find you even when you don't plan to find it. Right. And I just happen to, you know, say, hey, let me just go with the flow, because if I continue to resist, I may not be able to live into those questions that I had been asking myself. Right. Well, it sounds like that it still takes some courage to listen. You know, as you said, your purpose can come, will come mm-hmm. to you and that. And are you willing to listen? You know, so you get the call, but are you willing to answer the call? You know, right. whether that's from faith or whether it's just, you know, if we talk about a traditional kind of hero's journey mm-hmm. or heroine's journey where so the purpose is calling you, but our ability mm-hmm. to say I'm willing to like sh- shift how I've designed my life so far and then take another turn. So what was it that allowed you to trust that in yourself to take the turn? Because I imagine people around you are saying, what are you doing? Yes. Uh, some people still ask, what am I doing? There are days when I find myself asking, Eton, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, uh, did you really, did you, did you hear correctly? And I just want to touch on the, the listening aspect uh, because there are times when God speaks, you know, to us, the spirit speaks to us, the universe. I understand everybody has a different uh, nomenclature. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, there are times when, as you say, we don't listen. And then there are times when we listen, but we don't like what we hear. Mm-hmm. And, yes. you know, that yes. also um, creates a, a challenge, so to speak. Um, and I, at least in my experience, there are a lot of things that I didn't like to hear. Like, what you mean, leave all this that I worked hard for mm-hmm. to go to, I don't know where. And it, it's that element of the unknown that is often, uh, very scary. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you find, as you say, the courage to, to deal with the uncertainty, to walk in, the unknown, uh, to explore the darkness. And, you know, darkness is not always bad. Uh, darkness can actually be the place where we develop, where we, uh, where we grow, Mm -hmm. where we find new aspects of ourselves, new dimensions of our personality, our skills and abilities. Uh, so the darkness can actually be a place of, um, again, of development and growth. Uh, but going back again to the listening aspect, mm-hmm. you know, I um, started my career in Ohio and the company uh, ended up transferring me to Miami, Florida. And I was like, whoa, Miami, I am living the life. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the sun, the beach, just, nice. you know, I was you know, 21, 22, just, just having a ball and you hear, uh, okay, 
Eton, I need you to, to switch gears. And you're like, what do you mean switch gears? Like, I'm, I'm enjoying this. I'm having fun. Like, you know, this is where I want to be. This is why I worked so hard to get here. And you're telling me that I have to shift. And um, I just remember, you know, getting the same message, getting the same message, but resisting. And there comes a point when your attention is, oh, how do I, how do I want to word this? There comes a time where you resist and you, you just kind of push everything to the side for so long that life will just come with a big bang to get your attention. Okay. And yeah. it forces you to stop. It forces you to refocus and it forces you to redirect. Um, and that moment came for me and I actually had to say, you know what, uh, I will never get to a place of, of peace and fulfillment in my heart unless I uh, heed myself to what I feel I'm being called to. Mm -hmm. So I eventually, uh, you know, left New York. I mean, excuse me, left, uh, Miami. Left, left Miami. I mean, packed up my apartment. I think I gave away 90% of the stuff in my apartment. I sold my car, came to New York with two suitcases. Um, and of course I had, you know, my essentials yeah. uh, shipped from, um, from Miami to New York. And I embarked upon, you know, my, my theological journey uh, and not realizing that it was um, purely an academic journey. So I realized during the three years while I was in seminary, those questions that I, you know, asked and I shared with you uh, earlier, that three year time span gave me the space to explore and answer those questions. Um, you know, they always tell us, you know, hey, you have to be careful what you ask for. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that is very true because life will give you what you ask for. You just have to be prepared right. um, to receive that and uh, engage the process, whatever it may look like when it comes. Mm -hmm. Now, I was not excited to move to New York City. Um, almost everyone I know, they love the, the shine and the, the glitter of the Big Apple. I was so resistant to New York City. And that's because um, my sophomore year in college, I actually studied abroad in uh, Moscow, Moscow, Russia, at Tayyum Gayu. Moscow State uh, University. Wow. And uh, I was there studying uh, Eastern European business practices, uh, diplomacy and law. And so I've always been a lover of travel. I've always had this, you know, wanderlust about, about life and culture and the people in it. So I decided to uh, come to New York about a week and a half before um, I was set to fly out to, to Moscow. Mm -hmm. So I stayed in a hotel in Penn Station. And, you know, at night I would study the maps so I wouldn't look like a tourist. So I would learn the 
the subway lines because essentially I was here by myself. I didn't know anyone and I just didn't want to find myself in a bad situation. And I can just remember after about the fourth day, I was like, oh, my God, who in their right mind would ever want to live in New York City? And then, of course, fast forward, you know, eight, nine, almost, you know, 10 years. And I'm in the same city that I just said, who would ever live here? Right. right? So my first two weeks, I just remember just sitting in my living room, you know, just in tears. I mean, the people were not nice. You know, I was uh, raised in Texas where we're just so hospitable. You know, you go outside, you say hello to someone, they walk right past you and everybody's just in the hustle and bustle of their day. And what I was missing was that aspect of community, the aspect of connection, and also, you know, the beauty of the local Walmart where you can go and, you know, grocery shop at one or two o'clock in the morning. So in New York, you know, there are the bodegas and it was, it was a real culture shock for me. Right. Uh, But the thing that uh, really um, helped me was, uh, you know, I live, I live in Harlem. I've been here for 11 years uh, in the same neighborhood. Uh, It was, you know, the church around the corner, which happened to be Abyssinian. So um, I started going to church and I started to meet people. Um, And there are a lot of, you know, transplants, young professionals who, you know, were in the congregation. So we got a chance to connect. So those feelings of um, not having a community or not connecting uh, were alleviated, you know, by finding uh, my my tribe here at mm-hmm. the church. Mm-hmm. And what also was very interesting was that when I walked in the church, there were two women leading the church service that day, uh, and that was the Reverend Doctor uh, Ebony Marshall Terman and the Reverend Doctor Violet Deesley. Uh, wow. There four there were four individuals on staff, but um, that particular day, uh, the two of them were leading service. And I just said, oh, my God, this is this is like this is radical. This is revolutionary. Yes. You know, because growing up, when you did see a woman in the church, she was either teaching Sunday school, working in the kitchen uh, or serving as the pastor's aide by bringing him water and towels during, you know, the service. Mm-hmm. Uh, rarely did you see, you know, a woman uh leading a prayer or let alone sitting in the pulpit and running the entire service. So I was like, oh, you know, that's great. This is awesome to see, not realizing that eventually one day I would be in that same position. So at the time you're at, you're, you're at the seminary during this mm-hmm. period, Yes, you're sitting in church, you're seeing these amazing women and it's still not connecting yet that that is that you're going to take this on. You're you're no, still not connecting because I didn't want it to connect. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, I was so. This resistant. is the power of our our ability to like resist the call, right? Resist our right our purpose, right? Mm-hmm. Is that mm-hmm. we can really have it. In your that face clearly, he literally right. in your face presented to you, and you're like, "Yeah, no, that's not I'm me." I'm good. I'm good. Uh- <laughs> so, uh, you know, I remember just going, you know, through my own, my own journey, and uh, 
you know, saying, oh, you know, this is great. This is wonderful to see. But, you know, I'm really not about that life. I'm good, you know, with what I'm doing. So I remember, um, you know, just telling myself, I'm clearly here for the academic experience. I'm going to go back into the corporate world and, you know, do something that integrates, um, you know, spirituality, whether that, you know, meant going into nonprofit work or, you know, going to be a corporate chaplain um, because people in corporate don't realize how much of their spirit is engaged in the day to day work mm-hmm. and uh, they need someone, you know, to talk that through. So I thought that I would maybe do something like that. And I just remember saying, you know, I would never go and work in the church. <laughs> never, never say never. Right. Um because in our second year, uh, we have to do a practicum, our internship. Mm-hmm. And there's a, a wide array of uh, places where one can complete their internship. You can, you know, do it at the United Nations. Uh, you could work, you know, um, at uh, in a hospital ward. Mm-hmm. You can take chaplaincy classes, um, hospice work. You can work in a school, and of course, you can work in a church. So I was trying to find every opportunity, except for the opportunities in the church. (laughs) And every internship that I applied for, you know, I got rejected. And I was like, hold on. I have excellent grades. I'm a model student, you know. What is what is going on? And then the one internship that actually came through was an internship for a church. I said, you know what, <laughs> this is just too much. So of course I went kicking and screaming, uh, like I do with most things that are uncomfortable for me. Um, I went, I completed my year practicum. I went back to the seminary, I graduated and I was still talking talking crazy, like, oh, I don't want to work in a church, and da 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 Long story short, where am I? I'm working in a church. And I'm working in a church. Um, what was the moment when you gave up, I want to say, like, gave up the resistance to, the, to it? What was the moment, or was it, like, a moment where you just kind of, like, how did the transition happen? What was the moment when you thought, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just going to go with what I'm being called to do and give up the resistance. So, um, right before I graduated seminary, um, I traveled to uh, Nigeria. Uh, My dad is uh, Nigerian. I went there, um, and this was the trip after he uh, had passed away. Um, So I went there and it was, you know, just very, very emotional for me. Um, So I was there with my aunt and I visited my dad's uh, residence or my dad's old residence. And uh, my family members, (laughs) please don't think they're crazy when I say this. (laughs) They actually, um, they buried my father uh, in in his bedroom. So they cleared out the room, dug up the dug up the cement floor and, uh, you know, buried him in, in the room. So that was, um, I guess, his his shrine or tomb of sorts. Right. So I just remember walking in and I was just overcome, like, 
whew, was such emotion. And, you know, I, I asked, um, you know, my aunts to just kind of give me a moment. So they left and closed the door and I'm just sitting there, you know, with my dad. And, you know, in that moment, I, I felt like, you know, my dad was telling me like, you know, don't, don't cry. Don't worry about me. I'm good. Uh, you just follow the path that, um, that lays before you and you do the best job at it. And uh, I came back and, you know, people were like, oh my God, what happened to you? Why are you over in Africa? You just, you know, you're different. And um, not different in terms of, uh, you know, a physical difference or anything, you know, of, of sorts, but they're like, you don't look as heavy. <laughs> you know, you just look at ease. And I just said to myself, you know, there are some times when you realize that it becomes detrimental to your existence, to your greatness, and to your abilities to when you continue to resist it right. and not walk in, in those things. And if peace and happiness and fulfillment was what I was ultimately in search of, I couldn't get there by resisting the very things, the very path that will, that will get me there. Right, right. Wow, thank you so much for sharing that. Oh, no problem. Yeah, okay. I could feel in your sharing, just in as you speak about it, that shift, you know, and, yeah. um, and that kind of, like the settling in yourself. Yes, and, and you know, the, the thing about the shift and the settling in, it doesn't, it's not this thing that just happens one time. Mm -hmm. You have to uh, continue to shift mm -hmm. and you have to continue to settle in um, because one thing about our paths and our callings is that we are called Yes, yes, we have a destiny, right? We have a, a final destination of where we're, you know, going to end up and when we walk into the, the greatness that is our purpose. But there are steps that we have to take to get there. Right. And in taking those steps, we're often to call, we're often called uh, to be different things at different times to different people. Right. And so, yes, the, the call comes, but it's it's an a call that is ever coming and a call that is mm -hmm. ever changing. Mm -hmm. And so um, the, the skill that one needs um, to navigate is having the ability to, to shift. But more importantly than simply shifting is knowing when to shift. Right. Because there are times when we can shift too early and times when we can shift too late. And the, the task is knowing when to shift at the right times for the right reason so you don't miss, you know, what's next. Yeah, so the tuning into like the signs for the right timing. 
Yes. Um, they, I, I'm with you. I believe that there are, that we are given signs. We are given, and it's our ability to read them, to mm-hmm. not have, not bypass them, mm-hmm. <laughs> to slow down long enough, to, mm-hmm. and then if we see it, to then not resist it. <laughs> right, but and you know, then, it, like, it takes. Look at, it, yeah. It, it takes a lot of, because um, I don't want you or any of the listeners to think like, oh, yeah, you just wake up one day and it's like, yeah, I know how to shift gear one, gear yeah, two. No. Like it. You <laughs> not know, at all, um, not at all, yeah. It takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of uh, introspection. Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of uh, reflection. Right. Um, it takes a lot of asking of the hard questions, you know, the questions that we we're afraid to ask ourselves and the questions that we're even afraid to ask other people. Right. And it takes honesty, you know, to really sit down and say, you know what, girl, mm, you don't have it as together as you think you do. <laughs> or, you know, maybe you need to take some time out or maybe, you know, you need to journal. Or maybe you need to go and talk to somebody. Right. Or maybe you need to forgive. Or, you know, maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. And it is it's those things that I mean it, and it's not easy because I'm I'm still learning how to shift. Um and I'm still learning how to settle in because it is a it is a choice that one has to make every day. You know, we talk about success, we talk about happiness, we talk about peace, but I'm finding that those are things that don't necessarily always come to you or handed to you without making, without first making a choice, Right. you know, and deciding, okay, well, these are the things that I want to have. Um, but it, it all boils down to being in alignment. And yeah, I'm hearing like your choice around success is redefining what that mm-hmm. is for you and not falling into kind of norms around what de- success is determined out- externally outside right. of you and and that we can buy into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't mean don't have a great house or anything, you know, and it, right. and it just means that it, are those, those things that are um, things that are things that many of us are chasing is that mm-hmm. the, is that really yours to chase or is there something else that's really yours um to define your own success and then mm-hmm. what well, I'm hearing satisfaction mm-hmm. fulfillment being at peace being settled in oneself mm-hmm. doing what what is yours to do on the right. on the planet are the things that fall into that success definition right I mean and and don't get me wrong I'm not saying that you have to totally abandon you know the um the journey to you know nice things you know like who doesn't want to have a nice home who doesn't want to have a nice car Uh, but it's all about balance and um balance and keeping the proper perspective on those things because what good is you know a great home if you have no peace in your heart, you know, uh, what good is, you know, having beautiful things surround you every day, but you know, you're not happy. And I've even at, you know, almost 35, I've, I've been there and I've had those experiences and I just knew that I didn't want that to be, you know, my, 
my reality for, you know, the balance of my life. So success for me now is, hey, have I done something to get me closer to the highest version of myself today? Mm. Have, uh, have I done something that will help me get closer to my purpose? You know, when I go home and, you know, lay my head down at night, can I do so with a clear conscience, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, can I uh, go to bed knowing that, you know, my heart is in, in you know, just the, the right space, you know, and that, that everything is, everything is good. So that's what success is for me. And I know it sounds, um, or may sound a a bit cliche, but there's nothing like a clear heart and a clear conscience and a clear mind and peace. Exactly. Exactly. I would say that any day. Right. Right. And, um, that's what I, um, I use as my, my guideposts and, you know, my, my markers uh, in life is making sure that while I, you know, am internally aligned, mm-hmm. that I'm in a position to um, hopefully make those same uh, possibilities a reality for someone else. Yeah. And, so you when, know, oh, go ahead. So when you're doing your work, as a reverend and um and just like you were inspired by these two black women that you saw when you went to church like are you conscious of of inspiring others in that way do you carry that in that way um because because of what the impact that they had on you as well I'm curious about that um you know, I don't know if I, I wake up and say, oh, I'm going to be somebody's inspiration today. <laughs> uh, I think for me, it's just waking up. Um, and so one thing I, I, I've gotten to the point where I do a morning practice. Mm-hmm. So when I wake up, you know, I before I touch my phone and look at the Instagram or my Facebook or emails, uh, I rattle off a list of things that I'm grateful for. And then I always say, you know, God, I don't know what my day holds, um, but allow for me to walk into my purpose and help someone along the way. Mm. Um, and whatever that may be, you know, so be it. Uh, so, again, I don't know if I would say that I necessarily go out and say, oh, I'm going to be somebody's black girl magic today. <laughs> or, hey, I'm going to be, you know, somebody's black excellence today. Yeah. I just go out and I am Eton. And um, and are people inspired? You know, yes. I work with an amazing group of young people here at the church. I have a, an amazing group of, you know, colleagues. And, you know, Reverend Butts is, is just, uh, I mean, he's just an amazing personality and, a, and an amazing boss to have. Uh, but when uh, it, it really becomes real for me, when I engage in my international development work, uh, which I failed to mention earlier, when you asked me, uh, what am I doing? I do so much that I can't remember half the things <laughs> that I'm doing. So in addition to my, my work here at the church, uh, I serve as the executive director for the Abyssinian Fund. And uh, the Abbey Fund is a uh, 501c3 organization uh, that is affiliated with the Abyssinian Baptist Church uh, that was established in uh, 2009 to help 
uh, reduce poverty in East Africa. Mm -hmm. So we worked with coffee farmers in a rural region uh, in Ethiopia called Chapajaneta. Uh, we provide uh, resources and uh, the tools that they need uh, in order to experience some uh, equity in their uh, agricultural uh, work and endeavors. And we also um, provide assistance to an all-girls school, uh, the second, the Mathuki Secondary School for Girls in rural Kenya, uh, in Katui, as about three or four hours uh, out of outside of Nairobi proper. Uh, so one thing that we've uh, done uh, over the last maybe year or so is that we're helping them build a computer lab. It's all girls school. And uh, I go to, at least for the last two years, uh, three years or so, I travel to both Ethiopia and Kenya about every three or four months. Okay. Um, but my travel here lately has slowed down a bit. Um, we bring laptops. So we have a laptop drive uh, before every trip. So, um, I stick about 20 laptops in my carry on bag and wow. I'm sure they're thinking, what is this? What is this woman smuggling? <laughs> right. And then yes, I'm the one in the, the airport TSA line who's going through with all the laptops yeah, right, and people right. are mad and yeah. So, uh, but when, you know, I, I get off the plane and I take that, you know, three hour drive down a dusty road, you know, the roads are not um, structured, the infrastructure is not what, uh, you know, we're used to, you know, here in, in the States. Um, but once I get to the school, you know, all sweaty, and I see, you know, all these young girls who, you know, are focused on getting an education, and they're just so grateful, you know, that's when it really hits me. And it's like, oh, wow. I am really out here making a difference. Yeah. And, um, but on the day to day, I just think, Hey, I'm, I'm here and I'm, I'm working, I'm living, I'm just living my life, mm -hmm. um, and doing what I'm supposed to do. And then you have those moments when you're out in the front of a school in rural Kenya with a group of, you know, 250, you know, students. And it really hits you like, wow, like, hmm, okay, interesting. Yeah. And it's scary at the same time, yeah. you know, because you don't want to, you never want to take that for granted, your ability to inspire and encourage someone else, um, you know, for granted. It, it's, I think it's a very sacred, uh, very sacred, you know, thing. Um, and I just always want to be mindful that I am being the best steward, uh, of that ability. That's so great. Um, so your work is far reaching, of course, in that yes. way. And, you know, so then help me understand then what's your, what's your biggest challenge that you face or the biggest challenge that you're, you face in your, in the work that you do, mm. you say? Oh, wow. So the, I don't think there's one biggest challenge. <laughs> you um, can name, because, name one of the many. <laughs> uh, one of the biggest challenges. Hmm. Now, I'm going to take this from a, from a, a personal perspective. Mm -hmm. uh, my biggest challenge is 
reminding myself that I, that reminding myself that I have everything that I need in terms of my own gifts, my own talents and my own abilities to get the work done. Oftentimes you can get into spaces uh, that you've never been in, uh, spaces where you have been in and you're the only one. Right. Uh, spaces that, you know, you haven't seen anyone in your family in and it, it's foreign, but recognizing that, hey, you know, I'm enough. And the fact that I'm here shows that. Right. Now, that doesn't mean that, you know, I'm beyond asking for help because I'm not, uh, I'm not beyond uh, further development. Mm -hmm. um, but just reminding myself that even when other people feel like I'm not old enough or I'm not um, prepared enough or whatever, mm -hmm. wherever they feel like I'm not enough, I have to remind myself that I am. Right. Right. Yeah. That it, and, and you, well, you, your work is going to take you to spaces unknown too, right? Like, uh, yeah. So that's, that is so important to, to have that, the, the ability to remind yourself and to the ability to intervene our own thoughts, our own mm -hmm. concerns, our own feelings. Yeah. So then, um, my other thought, I was trying to um, figure out, like, what are the types of experiences that you would say that you've experienced as a, as a black female reverend that others may not experience, you know? <laughs> Am I imagining, because it's so unusual and a young one. Am right. I putting something there that's not there? It's so unusual. I'm always fascinated by, by that, you know? Like, mm -hmm. how does, like... So how do people respond? How do people respond? Yeah. And how do you respond to how people are responding? Ah, I can remember we were doing a, um, a Christmas toy drive uh, at um, a well-known establishment downtown, mm -hmm. downtown New York. And uh, I've been communicating with the uh, coordinator of the event, you know, via email and whatnot. So uh, the evening comes for the program and I walk up to check in and I said, you know, hi, I'm, you know, here for, you know, such and such a person. And they're like, oh, hold on one second. Let me go, let me go get them. So the person comes and I introduce myself. Hi, you know, I'm Reverend Young. And the person responded, oh, I, I was expecting to see a man. And I was like, oh, well, I must be a good looking man, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, I, I understand, you know, where they're coming from, but it's like, you know, some people just, some people just don't know what to expect. Right. Um, and then being a reverend who, you know, has come in from um, a different, you know, vocation, you know, working in the sciences, yeah. you know, uh, being... Uh, bicultural, you know, having an African father and an African American mother, mm -hmm. and uh, the way I express that, you know, there are times when I come to church and I wear my African head wrap, or, you know, I'm in, you know, my big gay lay, and right. 
you know, I'm eating, you know, my African food for lunch and people are like, oh, you know, what's that? Um, or even when I'm out, it's very interesting because people always ask, oh, well, you know, what do you do? And now I've just started to have fun with it. So instead of, you know, saying, oh, yeah, I'm a reverend, I'll say yes. And I'll give them, you know, three tries. Right. And even after three or maybe 10, they still don't get it. And then when I say, oh, you know, I'm a reverend, they're like, oh, my God, you're not a reverend. It's like, yeah, I am. Um, And they're just they're like, it's really hard for them to reconcile. Right. Right. Well, it's also, you know, this number one. It's like you just don't meet black women who are reverend. You just don't. There's, you know, as a there's not number two. You're so fly too. <laughs> I mean, you're Thank so you. stylish. You. You're stunning. You got, you know. So even if we were going to imagine a reverend, we wouldn't imagine me. You, you know, right. which is so, which is. It's, listen, that's on our training, our society, you know, our socialization. Right. We've been socialized to believe that, you know, those who can guide us around our faith and our spirituality mm-hmm. look a particular way. Right. And so that's what's, and, and you know, have a, a, there, there's certain age, there's certain gender. And mm-hmm. if they fall into your, then they have this image that is not you. And mm-hmm. so it really usurps all of those things when mm-hmm. you there you are saying you're a reference it was like i don't understand this isn't complete <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean and it's just so fabulous because it really mm-hmm. challenges those norms it challenges the stereotypes and it has us really think about ourselves like right. there we are you know we swallowed that too and then like here in here you have this fabulous fabulous itang just in front of us you know mm-hmm. Um, and here she is representing the um, faith community. Now, yes. can you distinguish the difference between, because we had this conversation before, the, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. between a pastor and a reverend okay. for those who, because I you said you're a pastor and you said I'm not a pastor, I'm a reverend. Right, right. And I was no, like, yeah. That, that's, that is a totally different calling. <laughs> um, the, I do feel that there is a very, a very special call to be a pastor. And, you know, if we're, you know, being honest, I am uh, not quite sure that I have it. So, um, but a pastor is one who has their church or who has um, their own church uh, and a reverend just typically works in a church, but they're not the the leader of the church. So, um, but reverends are pastors, um, ordained. Um, Some have gone to seminary, some have not. Uh, but one of the requirements here for Abyssinian is that you have to be you know, seminary trained. Um, and the other thing is that, um, and this is not like a clear uh, rule, uh, but Reverend Butts is uh, very big on um, faith and education. So he encourages all of us to get our terminal degrees. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited to uh, share that I'll be starting my PhD studies in September. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. That's wonderful. Um, so that that's the primary difference is that one, uh, one person is simply ordained to oversee church ordinances mm-hmm. versus one uh, who is uh, ordained to do the same, but who also leads a church. Right. Thank yes. you for that distinction, because mm-hmm. I didn't know that distinction. <laughs> and for some people, listeners, because, well, how comes you didn't know? Totally different faith. I mean, track it happened. Been, yeah. Faith track that I'm on. Um, 
so if we like i'm looking at the time there's a couple of things that i just want to sh like a couple of things i want to ask you i'm okay. ask i've asked all my guests like what has been the most courageous moment that they've had in their life and a, and the courage for me is a, a, a an act that they've taken that's from their heart not just it may be on behalf of themselves but it could have been on behalf of another so mm -hmm. it's just like when i ask you that what comes to mind is the most courageous moment i think for me the most courageous moment um was deciding the type of woman I wanted to be and really charting out what it would take for me to get there. Um, and I just saw your head tilt, like, what do you mean? <laughs> um, there are times when we have to make a decision. Hey, do I want to keep just kind of having this mundane experience? Um, do I want to remain in the boxes that people have um, created for me? Or do I want to be the type of person who marches to the beat of their own drum, mm -hmm. who is an independent thinker, uh, but who walks in that? Uh, someone who is not afraid to be themselves, um, to be vulnerable, uh, to not have to, as we say, as my young people say, you know, perpetrate the fraud, mm -hmm. um, and who can just just be free and and who they are, and uh, be free in what they were created to do. And again, I know it probably sounds so cheesy, but that's a really hard thing to do um, when you've uh, had certain life experiences when uh, you occupy certain spaces and people tell you how you need to exist, just being able to have the, the courage to defy all of those things um, and knowing that there are times when you will not have anybody's support, that you will be out on the front lines by yourself. I mean, those are very lonely places to be, which is why people don't do it. Right. <laughs> right. And so to be able to say, you know what, I'm going to do this thing. I don't care what anybody says about me, you know, I mean, yeah, and it, it takes a lot of mental strength, a lot of emotional strength, again, a lot of rawness, a lot of honesty with oneself and just being real about, you know, the parts of you that may not be great. And, you know, the parts of you that are, you know, I don't like to use the word broken, um, but the parts that are, you know, chipped or fragmented or, you know, not whole or not healthy and taking the steps to get to that place where you could be uh, the the best version of yourself as possible. Right. It takes a lot of courage to do that. Right. right. And the ability to kind of really look at those places that, yeah, I don't like the term broken, but the things that... Um the parts of ourselves that we don't really necessarily want to look at and, yeah. um, but they're all part of us and we right. can we can embrace that all mm -hmm. of that yeah so it doesn't sound I mean that is so courageous it is because the when your environment is like are you doing what are you what 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 are you doing what do you, what do you mean you're gonna what, what? <laughs> then yeah, of course right. the ability to stand in your own um 
your own truth in your own truth standing yes. in your truth that's right and, and so, your own beauty and whatever your own is being able to right. stand in that is yeah right. making the choice to stand in that is right. is the most courageous thing that uh anybody can do right. well yeah. i um i i'm appreciating so much what you shared because Ooh. that that battle for your true self you know, sometimes not, not everyone gets to win that battle to right. really to really find that, and they live a life that's not theirs, or they live a life and it's they don't know how to get to a place where they're feeling more at one with who they are. So mm -hmm. I really appreciate you sharing sharing that. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong; I don't want it to sound like you know I won the battle. You know, it's a choice that you have to make every day. Every day. Yeah. Every like day. it's an ongoing one. Mm -hmm. It's an ongoing one. Yeah. So then if you um if you had to give advice to a younger you. I love this question. <laughs> what advice would you give? Like oh. what advice would you give a younger you? So uh I'm going to phrase this in uh the answer. It's one of my favorite quotes, and it's by uh, Rainer Maria Roque. Mm -hmm. And the quote says, be patient towards all that's unsolved in your heart and try to love the questions themselves. Do not now seek the answers which cannot be given to you because you would not be able to live them. And the point is to live everything, live the questions. And um, I love that. That has really just been uh, one of my my guiding posts. You know, just being patient. Mm -hmm. You know, especially since I moved to New York eleven years ago, I have gotten <laughs> so impatient. You know, where um, you know I I used to be you know real cool. You know, okay, I'm good. But once I got to New York, whew, it's like everybody's honking horns and everybody's moving, and it's like. <laughs> And I'm just like, oh, my God, I've caught the bug of impatience. But um, just remembering to be patient. I would tell my younger self that it gets better mm -hmm. if something doesn't happen. Um, it gets better. Um, and just embrace the beauty of time. I'm really and, you know, I was sitting saying to myself the other day, like, geez, it took me almost 35 years to get this, that um, I would tell my younger self to embrace the beauty of time, that everything happens in time, on time, and at the right time. Mm -hmm. And I am really seeing that, uh, that evidence in my life right now. So um, that's what I would tell myself, and that it'll be okay, and live, enjoy life. Um, you know, yeah. They're all beautiful pieces of advice. I love the the notion of the question and you know that we even when we're sitting in the inquiry of the mm -hmm. question, there's so much for us in it. And it's not like a moment, like it's a we can sit with a question for a while, right? Right. And right. the discovery that comes from from that process. Mm -hmm. versus just where we want to get to some end somewhere but can we sit in the 
and allow for those questions to arise for us to answer. Yeah, and not only can we sit and and await for those uh, answers to come versus going out and making our own answers, because right. uh, I'm I'm guilty of that. I'll put both of my hands up on that one, <laughs> and we may need to have a part two. Um, but being able to trust the process, right? You know, and it's in the process that I I believe our answers come. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, trust in the process. You. I'm with you on that. Well, that was the fastest hour. I cannot tell you. This is such a beautiful time together. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. It was really, really wonderful. Really, really wonderful. And, um, well, I hope to see you soon on yes, my, yes. one of my um, Harlem visits when I'm yes. in Harlem. And... I am here and I'm, I'm around. And uh, if you ever want to chat again, I'm here. Yeah. Thank you so much. It was brilliant. Thank you so much for being a guest. It's so, so good. Well, what a wonderful interview. I decided not to cut this one. I know it's a long one, but I just wanted to go with the flow on this one. So it's a long one, but there were so many inspiring things that Itang shared with us, the Reverend Young shared with us. And, um, you know, that quote around the being in the question and and just the ability to dwell in a question and then find your answer in a in a question like that that that's the inquiry the inquiry the space in between where you want to be and where you are now and how powerful that space can be and um and i feel like i'm living that right now so that's kind of resonating a lot and the other is i really really appreciated reverend young's openness in saying sometimes when we have a call and we answer the call we are choosing that each day it isn't like you get to a place like i've answered the call and i've arrived and that's it like it is a choice and that sometimes we resist the call and that's just part of the process to get in there, I guess. So I've taken so much away from this episode. I appreciate um, Reverend Young so much for her pearls of wisdom. Listen, when you see image pictures of her, she's also so fly, so stunning. And um, I just love, love her. So I thank you so much for being a guest on She's Got Drive and... If you are enjoying this show, would you head over to iTunes and rate and review the show? You know, it really helps to increase its uh, popularity and people getting to see who's got drive and listen to it. And, um, and so please rate and review the show. Tell me what you're getting. Um, and then, you know, I appreciate that. Love that. Love that. Love that. I love reading your comments. I love reading your messages that you send me as well. So she's got drive is produced by Cassandra Voltolina. The music is by the awesome or female band blonde. The song is called circles. If you want to connect with me, you can do so by Instagram on my account, Shirley McAlpine, or you can go to the Facebook page, She's Got Drive Podcast, and leave comments there. Or you can always go through my my website, is shirleymcalpine.com. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, go well and stay well. <laughs>